Okay, welcome everyone. We are starting chapter 3 of the Visuddhimagga, which is the first chapter of part 2. So again, this text is separated, is divided into three parts based on the three trainings. So remember the opening quote, Sile Patithaya Narosapanyo, and so on. means starting with morality, standing in morality, one who develops jitta and panya, which is concentration, or literally mind, consciousness, and wisdom. Such a person is able to untangle the tangles, so become untangled, be free. So we've already talked the first part, we talked about morality and a lot of general concepts of morality and what purposes morality for and the types of morality in terms of keeping the precepts and livelihood and um, guarding the senses and taking on the the uh, ascetic practices which were quite a lengthy uh, a lengthy passage or series of passages on those. So having finished that, now we can finally get into talking about meditation. Of course, it's important, should be obvious, the importance that is placed on the precursor of morality here. What this is doing, and it's what the Buddha quite clearly taught, is put morality first. So you can't just come in and, and do meditation disregarding the ethical framework of morality. It doesn't mean you have to practice morality for some time before you practice meditation. It means you have to understand morality and your meditation has to take place within a moral, ethical framework. Uh, lack of ethics and morality prevent will prevent you from progressing in meditation. So there, there are, I think, some people who, who claim that you have to spend some undefined amount of time practicing morality before you should actually start practicing meditation. And I think that's uh, unwarranted and certainly not um, it's not not clearly the in line with the Buddhist teaching. There's a sense that you can practice them all three of these trainings in tandem, but you need all three trainings, and morality being the base has to be strong. So you do have to purify it first. You have to be clear in your mind and, and comfortable in the fact that you can keep the precepts. If you're not able to keep them, then still, I think your meditation can help you with that, right? There are some precepts that can only be kept by certain people, like taking drugs and alcohol, for some people, meditation is going to help them to keep the precepts. But anyway, the understanding is it has to be pure before you can actually progress in your meditation. It's an important part of the process. So we finished that part. Now we are getting on to the part regarding actual meditation practice. And most of this, well, almost all of this part, part two, is dealing with samatha meditation. So I think there are some people here myself included, who are going to find that you practice very, very little of what that is talked about in this chapter. So, of course, it goes through 
some of the meditations that all Buddhists have to practice, like mindfulness of death, mindfulness of of the body, mindfulness of the Buddha, and loving kindness. So these sorts of generally useful meditations. But there's a lot in here that is specifically for the purpose of attaining the jhanas. So it's a precursor meditation. And he's going to make clear in this text that it's all sort of optional. And he's going to lay out the the belief that there are two paths you can choose. One where you uh, practice samatha meditation first and then take on the practice of vipassana and the other where you go straight to practice vipassana, skipping most of this second part. And you'll find that no matter what kind of Buddhist you are, there's 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 some stuff in here that most Buddhists will never even think about practicing. So you're not going to, this is, a, at the very least, much of it is optional. The only people that I've heard of who really tried to go through the entire Visuddhimagga, there's a group in Burma, the Pa'ok group that I'm told actually does try to um, follow the whole thing. And they apparently, what I've heard, require students to remember at least one past life before they teach them vipassana. Or it's something like you have to remember past lives before, before you can become enlightened or something like that. Anyway, I'm, I'm not, I don't follow their tradition, so this is all hearsay. I don't really know what they actually teach. But anyway, it's all here, and it's all interesting, and, and there are very practical um, instructions on how to attain pretty much everything. And I think this chapter is the most eye-opening chapter of the book for a lot of people. For me it was, just to read some of the descriptions of magical powers and to read the instructions that are so detailed and uh, exact on how to really work with the mind. This is a, this section is really a treatise on on how to manipulate the one's mind in a wholesome way. So it's the most I think it's the most fun section. This whole section can be very fun and light, I think. A lot of it is very light. So as opposed to the next it sort of sort of prepares or uh, softens us up for the third chapter, which is the complete opposite and it's dense and difficult and pithy. I mean it's wonderful but but not nearly as easy as this section. Anyway, let's get on with it. We'll start with um, chapter three, taking a meditation subject. So Robin, you want to lead us through this? Sure. Taking a meditation subject. Now, concentration is described under the heading. You don't have to start. You just have to organize everyone. You want to start at the top of the list, but you're the facilitator, so oh, sure. lead okay. us. Okay, yeah, what we generally do is just write down the line alphabetically, um, except for the people that are muted. So, Aurora, can you read number one? Uh, yes, I can. Concentration is described under the heading of consciousness in the phrase consciousness and understanding. It should be developed by one who has taken stand on virtue that has been purified means of special qualities of fewness of wishes, etc., and perfected by observance of the ascetic practices. But that concentration has been shown only very briefly, so it is not very easy to understand, much less to develop. 
There is therefore the following set of questions, the purpose of which to show the method of its development in detail. What is concentration? In what sense is it concentration? What are its characteristic, function, manifestation, and proximate cause? How many kinds of concentration are there? What is its defilement? What is its cleansing? How should it be developed? What are the benefits of the development of concentration? Okay, um, it's all fairly, I think, fairly uh, self-explanatory, except number three, just to point out these four things, if I haven't mentioned it before, these are the standard four um, aspects of any phenomenon. So all, all the Dhammas that are talked about in the Abhidhamma, um, for, well, for the most part anyway, have the are, are described based on these four things, their characteristic, their function, their manifestation, and their proximate cause, which is useful. So if you want to really understand something, like suppose you want to understand sati, what is the meaning of sati? which we translate as mindfulness. So then you, you can look it up and you can find what is the characteristic, the function, the manifestation, and the proximate cause. And it gives you a fairly detailed, it's like a dictionary definition or um, it's a classification. It gives you the characteristics of it, these four things. So, so what he's doing here is something very standard. And if you remember, he did something very similar for Sila, for the first section. So he's asking, what is what is morality? And now he's ask, doing the same with concentration. And this whole section, this whole chat, actually the whole section number two is based on these eight questions. Thank you. Darby, too? Here are the answers. What is concentration? Concentration is of many sorts and have various an answer that attempted to cover it all would accomplish neither its intention nor its purpose and would uh, besides lead to distraction. So we shall confine ourselves to the kind intended here, calling concentration profitable un, uh, unification of mind. So the point being that there are many bad kinds of concentration or non-Buddhist kinds of concentration or many under, definitions and understandings of what is meant by concentration. Here we're only focusing on uh, that which is called Kusala Jita Sekagata. Kusala Jita Sekagata. Thank you. Doug, can you read three? If people have questions, by the way, you're welcome to just jump in if that wasn't clear for the new people. In what sense is it concentration? It is concentration. In what sense is it concentration? It is concentration, samadhi, in the sense of con concentrating. It is the centering, adana, of consciousness and consciousness concomitants, evenly, salman, rightly, sama, on a single object. Placing is what is meant. 
So it is the state in virtue of which consciousness and its concomitants remain evenly and rightly on a single object, undistracted and unscattered, that should be understood as concentrate. Thank you. Glenn, can you read four? What are its characteristic, function, manifestation, and proximate cause? Concentration has non-distraction as its characteristic. Its function is to eliminate distraction. It is manifested as non-wavering. Because of the words, being blissful, his mind becomes concentrated. Its proximate cause is bliss. Thank you. John, can you read five? First of all, it is kind of one with the characteristic of non-distraction. Then it is of two kinds, as access and absorption. Likewise, as mundane and supramundane, as with happiness and without happiness, and as accompanied by bliss and accompanied by equanimity. It is of three kinds, as inferior, medium, and superior. Likewise, as with applied thought and sustained thought, etc., as accompanied by happiness, etc., and as limited, exalted, and measureless. It is of four kinds, as of difficult progress and sluggish... Um, hold on. Sluggish, direct knowledge, etc., likewise, as limited with limited object, etc., according to the factors of the four jhanas, as partaking of diminution, etc., as of the sense sphere, etc., and predominance, and so on. It is of five kinds according to the factors of the five jhanas reckoned by the fivefold method. Bhante, uh, uh, in the previous chapter, it said uh, the proximate cause of concentration is bliss. Uh, but isn't Concentration uh, doesn't it lead to bliss itself? I mean, isn't that the cause? Uh, isn't that the cause of bliss? Like it leads to samadhi and then jhana. Honestly, I'm not. I, I the question mark arose in my mind that the same passage. I'm not certain. I'm not certain about this passage either. Um, certainly, concentration leads to bliss. The word isn't bliss, it's just sukha. The word that they use in Bali is just sukha. Oh, that's uh, an element of the first jhana. I guess. I mean, I would, I would have thought the proximate cause would be morality. That's, that's standard, right? Morality is the proximate cause of, as the Buddha said, adhisira uh, sik, where does it go? Sira paribhavito I forget. The, the mind that is uh, moral cultivates concentration. The concentration that comes from morality, that's it. The concentration that comes from morality is of great benefit. That's what the Buddha said. So I just would have assumed that morality would be the proximate cause. But, or maybe it's the root cause. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. 
don't know. It's a question mark for me too. Something to look up. It might be uh, more better better explained in the uh, Abhidhamata Sangha, which I also now have an HTML version of. If anyone's interested. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Laszlo, can you read six? Herein, the section dealing with that one kind is evident inning. In the section dealing with that of two kinds, excess concentration is the unification of mind obtained by the following, that is to say the six recollections, mindfulness of death, the recollection of peace, the perception of repulsiveness in nutriment, and the defining of the four elements, the unification that precedes absorption concentration. Absorption concentration is the unification that follows immediately upon the preliminary work because of the words the first jhana preliminary work is a condition, is proximity condition for the first jhana. So it is of two kinds as access and absorption. Thank you. Mark, can you read seven? In the second dyad, mundane concentration is profitable unification of mind in the three planes. Supermundane concentration is the unification associated with the noble paths. So it is of two kinds as mundane and supermundane, supramundane. Thank you. R. Gilmore, can you read eight? In the third dyad, concentration with happiness is the unification of in two jhanas in the fourfold reckoning and in three jhanas in the fivefold reckoning. Concentration without happiness is the unification in the remaining two jhanas. But access concentration may be with happiness or without happiness. So it is of two kinds as with happiness and without happiness. Sorry, can I ask what a dyad is? Group of two. It's an archaic English word that just means group of two. And we had a question in text. What are the characteristics of access concentration? So the suppression of the five jhanas. So similar to the it's very similar to the first jhana. And I would have thought would have the same characteristics of the first jhana, except now he's saying access concentration can be without uh, happiness, which is interesting to me. But or interesting, it seems strange. But uh, you know, a lot of these these technical details. Um, it's the problem with studying the Abhidhamma is it often leads to more questions than answers. You start to question why is that? Why is that? I thought it was like this. Uh, There's a lot of details that are un, un, imprecise, and so sometimes you just have to say, okay, that's interesting. So between the Visuddhimagga and the Abhidhamma, the Abhidhamma was the earlier work? Yeah, the Visuddhimagga is much based on, or has has much that's based on the Abhidhamma, which is why a lot of why not a lot? Why some Buddhists are averse to studying it, because they're not so keen on the Abhidhamma. Uh, 
it's a lot more practical than the Abhidhamma, I suppose. But the Visuddhi Manga is based on the Patisambhida Manga, which uh, is a very sort of compact um, text that's lots of lists and and um, concise explanations. So this is a lot of extrapolation on that. Um, the Bispadisambhita Manga is as well very much um, uh, associated with the Abhidhamma tradition. Thank you. In the fourth dyad, concentration accompanied by bliss is the unification in three jhanas in the fourfold and four in the fivefold reckoning. That accompanied by equanimity is that in the remaining jhana. Access concentration may be accompanied by bliss or accompanied by equanimity. So it is of two kinds, as accompanied by bliss and accompanied by equanimity. In the first of the triads, what has once been acquired is inferior. What is not very well developed is medium. What is well developed and has reached mastery is superior. So it is of three kinds, as inferior, medium and superior. In the second triad, that with applied thought and sustained thought is the concentration of the first jhana, together with access concentration. That without applied thought, with sustained thought only, is the concentration of the second jhana in the fivefold reckoning. For when a man sees danger only in applied thought and not in sustained thought, he aspires only to abandon applied thought when he passes beyond the first jhana. And so he obtains concentration without applied thought and with sustained thought only. This is said with reference to him. Concentration without applied thought and sustained thought is the unification in the three jhanas, beginning with the second in the fourfold reckoning, and with the third in the fivefold reckoning. So it is of three kinds as with applied thought and sustained thought and so on. Okay, a couple of things. Um, first and foremost, uh, remember from last time we studied this, something I have to point out that may be confusing for people. I think it's a disagreement that we'll have to have here and you probably find this more than once in this text where I will tell, just tell you that I disagree with the translation. Mostly we don't use the word happiness in the way he's using it and or, or the word bliss. So by hap, when he uses the word happiness, he is referring to the word piti. So he's translating piti by happiness, which is very irregular in modern times. And Yanamoli, I think, was known for his interesting translations in certain cases. This is one of them where I don't think we would likely agree. Biti is, is sort of a static charge that in the mind. It's like excitement. Rapture, we generally translate it as. And the word bliss here is just sukha. And sukha we always translate as happiness. So you're going to have to keep that in mind. And it's confusing for me when he says happiness, he means biti. When he says bliss, Excuse me, he means sukha, which is just the opposite of dukkha. 
So it shouldn't be bliss, not not reasonably. Of dukkha and sukha, dukkha is suffering, sukha is happiness. So whatever words you want to use, I I think bliss is not the right one. The second thing is, um, it's probably confusing. A lot of this is probably confusing and and goes over many people's heads because it's this is esoteric. Where it's quite involved here. In order to try to understand this, you have to to deeply understand what he's going uh, going on about here. You have to know quite a bit about Buddhist theory, but. Um, at the least, the, the fourfold versus the fivefold reckoning is just a technical difference in the description of the jhanas in the suttas versus the description in the abhidhamma. In the suttas, there's four jhanas, right? In the abhidhamma, they make a distinction, claiming that the meditator first gets rid of or gets rid of the five factors, changes the five factors one by one. So. You have uh, applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness. These are the five factors. Wait a second. Vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, egagata. So five factors. The um, the second jhana only has four factors. So it gets rid in the Abhidhamma reckoning. The... Uh, uh, what am I doing here? Uh, the second jhana only has sustained thought. The third jhana gets rid of sustained thought, so you have piti, sukha, ekagata, right? The fourth jhana has only sukha and ekagata, and the fifth jhana, sukha, which happiness, changes to equanimity. So the fifth jhana only has equanimity and uh, one-pointedness, ekagata. Now, in the sutta reckoning, you get rid of both, uh, or it, it describes the second jhana as having gotten rid of the first two factors. So all the, all the differences, it's just a simple distinction. The Abhidhamma claims that you remove first applied thought, but still have sustained thought, and then sustained thought is removed afterwards. So it's probably just a technical distinction that shouldn't, shouldn't be nearly as confusing as it, it seems to be. But... Uh, that's what's gonna he's gonna talk about the fourfold and the fivefold reckoning. Thank you. Tina, can you read twelve? In the third triad, concentration on by happiness is the unification in the two first jhana in the fourfold reckoning. And in the three first jhana, in the fivefold reckoning, concentration accompanied by bliss is the unification in those same jhana, in the third, the fourth, respectively, in the two reckonings. That accompanied by the equanimity is the that in the many jhana, this concentration may be accompanied by bliss and happiness or accompanied by equanimity. So it is the three kinds as accompanied by happiness and so on. 
Uh, one thing I have mentioned, what's the difference between applied thought and sustained thought? It's hard to separate. Applied thought is um, sending the mind to the object. So sustained thought is, is like revolving around it, considering it. So the the and I think I think another translation is initial application and sustained application. That's another translation. So the first one is this like a bullet, or like uh, jumping, like a, when a if a fish takes the hook, you know, the fish biting at the hook and then um, wiggling around is the sustained thought. And these disappear once once the once the mind is calmed down. These disappear. So the question is whether they disappear together or individually. And understanding is, I mean, it's reasonable to assume that that it's at least possible that applied thought disappears. But there's still this kind of ratiocination. The mind is still thinking, considering the object, without having to go out to it because it's it is kind of fixed on it. But eventually, even that dies down, and then you enter the third. What is the third jhana? So you might, you you would probably argue that the Buddha just simplified it because he didn't want to get as technical as the Abhidhamma treatment goes. Which you know, the, the Abhidhamma treatment is supposed to be from the Buddha as well. It's just much more technical. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Bhante. Can you read thirteen? In the fourth triad, limited concentration is unification on the plane of access. Exalted concentration is unification in profitable consciousness, etc., of the fine material sphere and immaterial sphere. Measureless concentration is unification associated with the noble paths. So it is of three kinds as limited, exalted, and measureless. A lot of this is directly taken from the Abhidhamma. He's taking these lists from the Abhidhamma, and so he's organizing at the Abhidhamma based on, on in the three trainings. Uh, and and don't worry too much if this is all just too dense. I mean, now you're getting a taste of the density of, of some of these texts. But this part is is actually much more for reference than anything. It'll get a lot more practical after this. You're going to have to get used to these lists because he go he has these lists and they're they're neat to come back to for reference, but you don't have to remember all of this. It's not going to be on the test. I'm glad you said it was the the light chapter, and I was starting to get worried. If this is the light stuff. I'm in trouble. Anna, are you able to? I don't know if you got your mic all set. Are you able to read fourteen? It looks like we can't hear you just yet. Aurora, can you read 14? In the first of the tetras, there's concentration of difficult progress and sluggish direct knowledge. There is that of difficult progress and swift direct knowledge. There is that of easy progress and sluggish direct knowledge. And there is that of easy progress and swift direct knowledge. Herein, the development of concentration that occurs from the time of the first 
conscious reaction up to the rising of the axis of a given jhana is called progress. And this and the understanding that occurs from the time of access until absorption is called direct knowledge. That progress is difficult for some being troublesome owing to the tenacious resistance of the inimical states beginning with the hindrances the meaning is that it is cultivated without ease it is called it is for others because of the subs or absence of those difficulties also the direct knowledge is sluggish in some and occurs slowly not quickly in others it is swift and occurs rapidly, not slowly. Thank you. Douglas, can you read 16? Here we shall comment below upon the suitable and unsuitable preparatory tests consisting in the severing of impediments, etc., and skill in absorption. When a man cultivates what is unsuitable, his progress is difficult and his direct knowledge sluggish. When he cultivates what is suitable, his progress is easy and his direct knowledge swift. But if he cultivates the unsuitable in the earlier stage, if he cultivates the suitable in the earlier stage and the unsuitable in the later stage, then it should be understood as mixed in his case. Likewise, if he devotes himself to development without carrying out the preparatory tasks of severing impediments, his progress is difficult. It is easy in the opposite case. And if he is not accomplished in skill and absorption, his direct knowledge is sluggish. It is swift if he is so accomplished. Besides, they should be understood as classed according to craving ignorance and according to whether one has practice in serenity and insight. For if a man is overwhelmed by craving, his progress is difficult. If not, it is easy. And if he is overwhelmed by ignorance, his direct knowledge is sluggish. If not, it is swift. And if he has had no practice in serenity, his progress is difficult. If he is, it is, it is easy. And if he has had no practice in insight, his direct knowledge is sluggish. If he has, it is swift. Also, they should be understood as classed according to defilements and faculties. For if a man's defilements are sharp and his faculties are dull, then his progress is difficult and his direct knowledge is sluggish. But if his faculties are keen, his direct knowledge is swift. And if his defilements are blunt and his faculties dull, then his progress is easy and his direct knowledge is sluggish. But if his faculties are keen, his direct knowledge is swift. So as regards this progress and this direct knowledge, when a person reaches concentration with difficult progress and sluggish direct knowledge, his concentration is called concentration of difficult progress and sluggish direct knowledge. 
similarly in the cases of the remaining three. So it is of four kinds, as of difficult progress and sluggish direct knowledge, and so on. In the second tetrad, there is limited concentration with a limited object. There is limited concentration with a measureless object. There is measureless concentration with a limited object. And there is measureless concentration with a me measureless object. Herein, concentration that is unfamiliar and incapable of being a condition for a higher jhana limited. When it occurs with, with an unex, un, unextended object, it is with a limited object. When it is familiar, well-developed, and capable of being a condition for a higher jhana, it is measureless. And when it occurs with an extended object, it is with a measureless object. The mixed method can be understood as the mixture of the characteristics already stated. So it is of four kinds as limited with limited object and so on. Bhante, uh, what does it mean by uh, measureless uh, concentration? I understand the measureless object like sky, space, but measureless, it says measureless concentration, right? Somewhere. It, it does, up at the top, it does say measureless concentration. I have a question. question. Are there any measureless, any measureless list, uh, list mental objects? Mental object? Bhante, can you hear? Yes, yeah, sir. I'm just going through the poly. Oh, sorry. Okay, so we have um, limited and measureless. Well, th th at the very least, I can understand... Um, the limited and limitless object because in the beginning a meditator takes a this is with the casinas one takes a um, uh, this uh, an uh, object that has a certain size and later on one takes um, one expands it which is what is which is what he's talking about here the the unextended object so the extended object eventually it becomes extended so it's it's infinite so white for example white becomes limitless where it's, there's just a sense of white infinite white and that's limitless the other sense that it's used is in terms of uh, the practice of the four brahma viharas when you say ahang um, sukito homi it's that's limited because it's only based on yourself when you say sabe sata sukita huntu, may all beings be happy. That's limitless because it's it's there's no sense of a, a finite base. So you have a sense of limitless, a boundless, apamanya. 
So, as to how the samadhi itself, it looks like he's talking about two different kinds of of measurelessness, though. So, I think the second one, the the idea of the concentration itself being measureless, right? Limited concentration, and then measureless concentration, it seems just metaphorical to me. It's measureless in the sense that it um, leads to the higher jhanas, and I guess by extension leads to enlightenment i'm not sure i think i think it's um metaphorical that one you know it's just a, a a name for the other type unless someone can provide more light on that the jhanas themselves have uh, three levels of practice right not the uh, medium higher and uh, average you know poor Potentially, I'm not. That's that sounds vaguely, possibly familiar, but I'm not clear on those three levels. And the sutta says that uh, for each uh, jhana there are three uh, realms, uh, like three worlds. For each jhana, one who practices it uh, uh, at the lowest level will go to one plane and. The medium one will go to another plane, and the highest one go to uh, uh, the highest plane. For example, right, the first right. jhana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Each jhana has its own Brahma realm. Each jhana has three Brahma realms associated with it. Right. That's where it's familiar from. And so there is the theory as to why certain people go to one of the three realms. And as you say, it's something about inferior, moderate, and superior. Can't remember exactly what what the distinction is, but there is some technical description of that. But um, measureless here, I'm guessing that that's not a very technical term, and it's just a sort of a symbolic name of of higher concentration because he's not very well describing it here. Whereas the measureless object is clear, although it may be that. Nobody says it can be mixed. I don't know. Is there a commentary to the Visuddhimanga itself, Dante? Yep. It's called the Mahatika. Maybe it's there. I can pull it up here. We were talking about uh, sati before, uh, which translate to um, remembering, right? To remember or... Yeah, so the, the tika says, um, sorry, just staying with this one question. The tika just says that that's, that concentration, which is bhaguno, which means has strong virtue or is very virtuous. Subhavito is well-developed. And uparijana sapachayo bhavitung sakoti means it is capable of leading to, to, capable of being a cause for the higher jhanas. That's all. So it's, as I said, it's not really a technical definition. It just means 
you know, it's not really technically measureless. It's just a name for that which leads to higher jhanas. Either that or he's kind of fudging it here, which, you know, it's not very, not very reverential for me to say that, but it often feels like he's, or they, or whoever put this together is, is kind of uh, explaining something that they're not even, I don't know. You know, it seems like a fudge sometimes. But I think it's just a, uh, it, 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 it's reasonable to assume that it's just a symbolic name. It's not actually measureless concentration. I see. It just means well-developed and the cause for higher jhana. Thank you. Um, R. Gilmore, can you read 21? In the third tetrad, the first jhana has five factors. That is to say, applied thought, sustained thought, happiness, bliss, and concentration, following suppression of the hindrances. The second has the three factors remaining after the elimination of a sustained thought. The third has two factors with the fading away of happiness. The fourth, where bliss is abandoned, has two factors with concentration and the equanimous feeling that accompanies it. Thus, there are four kinds of concentration according to the factors of these four jhanas. So it is of four kinds according to the factors of the four jhanas. So again, this is according to the sutta uh, enumeration of the jhanas as being four. And we're going to see in the in the pentad, the group of fives, where he gives five different jhanas. Thank you. In the fourth tetrad, there is concentration, 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 partaking of distinction, and there is concentration, partaking of penetration. Herein, it should be understood of diminution it is accessibility. Titi is stationariness of the stateless that is in conformity with that concentration. The state of perfection is accessibility to perceptive attention accompanied by dispassion. According, as it is said, when a man has attained the first jhana and he is accessible to perception accompanied by sense desire, then his understanding partake of diminution. When his mindfulness with that accessible to perception and attention unaccompanied by applied thought, then his understanding partakes of distinction. When he is accessible to perception and attention accompanied by dispassion and directed to fading away, then his understanding partakes of penetration. The kinds of con concentration associated with that fourfold understanding are also four in number. So it is of four kinds as partaking of diminution and so on. I'm sorry, I think I was saying that wrong the whole time. Is it diminution? Diminution, I think. 
What is that? Diminution means to become less, to lessen, I think. Diminish. Thank you. Um, sorry, I not kept account. What's my number? That's okay. We're on page 86, number 23. All right. Uh, it's 24, right? Uh, 23. All right. Okay. In the fifth uh, tetrad, there are the following four kinds of concentration. That is to say, sense sphere concentration, fine material sphere concentration, immaterial sphere concentration, and unincluded, that is path concentration. Herein, sense sphere concentration is all kinds of access unification. Likewise, the other three are respectively profitable unification of the mind associated, associated, associated with fine material immaterial and path jhana. So it is of four kinds as of sense sphere, as so on, and so on. In the sixth, in the sixth tetrad, if a bhikkhu obtains concentration, obtains unification of mind by making zeal, desire predominant, this is called concentration due to zeal. If by making energy predominant, if by making natural purity of consciousness predominant, if by making inquiry predominant, this is called concentration due to inquiry. So it is of four kinds as predominance. In the in the pentad, there are five jhanas by dividing into two, what is called the second jhana in the fourfold reckoning. Taking the second jhana to be due to the surmounting of only applied thoughts, and the third jhana to be due to the surmounting of both applied and sustained thought. There are five kinds of concentration according to the factors of these five jhanas. So its fivefulness should be understood according to the five sets of jhana factors. Thank you. Bhante, would you read 26? What is its defilement? What is its cleansing? Here the answer is given in the Vibhanga. Defilement is the state partaking in diminution. Cleansing is the state partaking in distinct, of distinction. Herein, the state partaking of diminution should be understood in this way. When a man has attained the first jhana and he is accessible to perception and attention accompanied by sense desire, then his understanding partakes of diminution. And the state partaking of distinction should be understood in this way. When he is accessible to perception and attention unaccompanied by applied thought, then his undertaking partakes of distinction. Phew. 
So that's the uh, that's the hard part. I'm sorry I promised you that this was going to be a light chapter and then submitted you to that. But um, as I said, it's mostly, for the most part, you can ignore that. It's it's quite interesting from a technical point of view and, and for reference purposes. But for our read-through in this, um, let's just think of it as a, a introduction to the framework. It's like a ta- we just read the table of contents, basically. Uh, not exactly, but something like that. We just read a, a very tab- tabular list of, of types of concentration. Well, I promise that it gets more interesting, but I think that's enough for today. Let's take a 10-minute break and come back and study Pali. Otherwise, I think our brains are going to explode. Yes, it is not very light <laughs> at all. <laughs> It's not that bad if you know what they're talking about, but I, under, I, it's clear that certainly many of you, many people here are, are not on the level where, you know, it's it's just very esoteric sort of um, theoretical Buddhism. So you have to be up on all the theory to really make sense of what's being said here. Because each one of these is a sutta in itself, right? Just talking about each one of the different classifications is it's each many of these are teachings that have to be explained in great detail so unless you've read those explanations it's it's um, incomprehensible i think or it's at least hard to take in i'm just really relieved that that wasn't considered the light part i think oh. having i'm so sorry go ahead I was just going to say it wasn't that bad, was it? No, it wasn't. But if that was the light part, then the rest would have been maybe a little overwhelming. No, the rest is much nicer. Starting starting next week, you'll see it's much... Uh, well, if you scroll down here... I it was see. a bit quite overwhelming. The number 22, the one that Robin read, was a good eye massage exercise. But I don't think I absorbed any of that. Um, and I entered diminution into my Dhamma lexicon, but, you know, patience continues. Diminution. I think in having a study group uh, helps so much more, and you get so much more out of it, rather than uh, reading this all by yourself. It would be uh, quite a task, I think. I think if you were reading it by yourself, that would have been a section you skipped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't skip it, I don't think. But you, know, if, if you, have to, you should be reading the suttas. To really understand the Visuddhimagga, you should read through the suttas. And if you've read a lot of the suttas, you know, a good cross-section of the actual Buddha's teaching, it's a lot more under- comprehensible. Uh, of course, if you've studied the Abhidhamma, it's it's even better because a lot of this is directly from the Abhidhamma. But even the Abhidhamma, it's the same. If you want to understand the Abhidhamma, you should read the suttas first because the Abhidhamma is is you know, classifying a lot of that and it's very terse as this is. So there is some prerequisite to really understanding these texts. When we're done with the Visuddhimagga, Will we be studying other suttas? We could. It's um, it's up to up to us, no, as a group. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful.
Okay, I'm going to hang up uh, or stop the recording and we'll be back in five, ten minutes.